Hey everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Sam. I'm Nandini, and today we are thrilled to have Professor Singh with us. Professor Singh is a professor at Colby College, where she holds the Crawford Family Chair in Religious Studies. She has published extensively in the field of Sikhism, including a recent book entitled Of Sacred and Secular Desire, an Anthology of Lyrical Writings from the Punjab. Professor Singh was born in the Punjab and came to finish at a girls' high school in the United States. She received her BA in philosophy and religion from Wellesley College, her master's from the University of Pennsylvania, and her PhD from Temple University. She has received many honors from the Sikh community for her distinguished scholarship, including the Outstanding Accomplishment Award presented by the Sikh Association of Fresno. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Singh. Um, to get started, we like to ask our guests to talk about an inflection point, um, a place where they had to pivot or adjust in their career or personal lives. Um, can you share a moment with us? Thank you. It's really lovely to be here, Nandini and Sam. It's delightful to be away from Maine <laughs> and to be here in Claremont. Um, yes, indeed. Um, I, as Nandini mentioned, I grew up in the Punjab. That was my home. And when I was 14, I came to America to a small prep school for girls. And, you know, it's the cultural habits we have. And that's what I grew up with. I was very Indian. I was very Sikh. I was very Punjabi. And I went on that way. Fine. And then came a moment in 1984. I went to the American Academy of Religion. And I was at that time ready to launch on my PhD thesis. And I ran into very important feminists like Mary Daly and Rosemary Ruther. And somehow the way they talked and the way they had analyzed feminist texts, it just inspired me so much. So I started going back to my own tradition and looking at it from a feminist perspective. So that was quite changing. Till then, everything was patriarchal. I translated the scripture from a male hermeneutic point of view, but that was quite something. And the other point was when I decided to marry uh, an Irishman, because it was always, I was young, I had come to marry, you know, to go to school in America, get my degree, and be married to a Sikh. Mm -hmm. But then, Things shifted, and I realized who I was, and I could be very Sikh and very Indian and very devoted to my academic world by marrying somebody cross-culturally. Mm -hmm. So those were the two moments that I can think of. So I am a first-generation Indian, um, and in a lot of my life, I have struggled to kind of reconcile my identity as an Indian and also an American. So I kind of want to hear about your experiences coming from the Punjab at such a young age, and maybe the challenges and the lessons that you've learned going up in an all-girls high school in America way back in time. Yes, Nandini. At that time, I think I was the only Indian in that part, you know, it was a small mm -hmm. little town, Stanton. So it was very unusual. And people were very good to me because I was so different. And I think I have kept that. I am who I am. So I retained my identity. And to be honest with you, growing up in India, because it was once upon a time a colonial country, mm -hmm. uh, own, you know, we were under the British. So growing up in India, I was much more Western. And I came to America to study English literature, to get my PhD in international affairs. Everything was more, it was kind of the false consciousness that I had. And I think coming to America, it was reading Walt Whitman's Passage to India. And then I realized, 
who in the world am I? So I think in America, I became more Indian. I began to realize, and I saw my rich heritage. And I have to admit that my colleagues, my teachers, my friends kind of endorsed my perspective. So I felt really good and enriched by my culture. And you know, India has a very, very rich spiritual, philosophical, political, scientific, economic, you name it, culture. And so I felt very proud to belong to that heritage. And I am a part of in America and I embrace that fully. I love where I teach, what I do, new ways of thinking, so forth. So I feel I never give up my identity, but I kept adding on and on. So there was no subtraction on my part, or so I think. Mm -hmm. But we don't know. We are very <laughs> complex human beings who knows what goes on in our minds and in our emotions and so forth. But I've really enjoyed America. I really have. I, I am who I am because of being here. I became more Indian. You um, are a professor of religious studies, um, and I was wondering what role religion played in um, both your early life and kind of once you got to America and like also throughout your studies as well. Oh my gosh, huh? That's very interesting, Sam. I grew up in a small town, Patiala. Here I come from a religiously rich country, but there was no academic study of religion in India. My father came to America, to the Center for World Religions, and he was a scholar there for a year, and then he went back and he became the first chairman of the first Department of Religious Studies in India. And so this was at the Punjabi University. Uh, it was in celebration of Guru Nanak's 500th birth anniversary. So there was a whole department that was established, and it was very, very interesting because it was built in the form of a ship. So it had five sails, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Jainism, and there was um, water all around it. And then a flame on the top, symbolizing that all these religions were going to the same point. Anyway, Patiala, small little place, and people would come. My father had conferences and scholars were coming from all over the world. Here is, you know, 60s too. People are getting interested in Indian religions. So there was, was, there was a real buzz. And many people would come and stay at our house because there weren't that many hotels around. And so it was really nice. So I met a lot of foreigners, youngsters, you know. Um, actually, I just had a professor to visit us at Kobe College. Um, and he had visited us when he was a student at Grinnell. Oh. And he came and stayed with us now, and he just retired from Emory, Professor Cortright. You know, he was there for many years at Emory. So it became a real hub for scholars and so forth from all over Europe and America, and it became very dynamic. So I was, you know, got more and more interested in, in religion. And then coming here in America, where there was nobody to speak my language, nobody to study Indian religions with, I think my love and desire got more deeper and more intense. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Wellesley College, and I cannot tell you how much I loved my teachers, uh, the way they encouraged me. I remember my professor, Lucetta Maori, she had no idea about Indian religions, and yet gave me all the freedom. So my honest thesis that I wrote when I was probably your age got published. It was called The Physics and Metaphysics of the Guru Granth. And lo and behold, it got very good reviews. It was published as a book. And, uh, you know, so I, and I still go back to it because it was about how 
this scripture on the one hand it is totally divine word on the other it's such a beautiful work of art so physically the alliteration assonance consonance and beauty of the poetry and yet it's totally revealed how can that happen so that's what has been my real interest and over the years i've been pursuing it over and over again so many people i know that's like think about religions feel a discrepancy in the way academics or academia looks at religion and the way practitioners practice their religion um did you come about any thing interesting or do you have a personal opinion about that like discrepancy between the way it's studied and the way it's practiced to be honest with you i would love everybody to read the text themselves because i do see where you're coming from and i do feel that very very there's a real rupture it's not the academy and the community as such although it has happened that way but i think it's religion is a beautiful process whatever we want to call it you know uh, the texts are beautiful they're empowering but the way nandini they have been interpreted the way they have been taught the way they have been understood it has become religion has become very controlling mm-hmm. and i do not like that and that weakens us because i work in the sikh text it is empowering one being is that one is within and outside and if it's in yourself you're empowered by it but the way if i go to a sikh sacred space it becomes all the all religion becomes all about rules and regulations and god out there and it's a very different god that i read in the text myself mm-hmm. so i i think it's not the academic as such but it's really kind of having a direct relationship with the text rather than having go betweens interpreters and priests and rabbis mm-hmm. and i don't know i shouldn't be saying this but it's it's best to directly go to the text and that i find them very empowering very liberating and very beautiful all texts all sacred texts um so earlier you mentioned Walt Whitman was like one of your inspirations and one thing i noticed about your work is you you do like to incorporate poetry into religious studies and that's something i've never personally encountered um or never thought to kind of connect the two um i was just hoping you could talk about kind of your um thought process behind the relation between poetry and religious studies and what it can um kind of show us about religion sam what are the texts written in they're poetic hindu texts vedas the sikh texts that i work in poetics lyrics so poetry is very essential and poetry is also the language that expresses universals i mean aristotle said that but poetry can also have a lot of power and i think that's what scares people after all plato banished the poets from the republic because they were too powerful and i think our our society at the moment our world which is so parched for empathy really needs poetry we need poets there's something about poetry um that's not only emotional it is of course emotional but it speaks to us you know it it's for social justice it's for polit- to get rid of political hegemonies it's liberating so i see a real connection you know to me there is no religion without poetry and poetry in the essential sense is religion i don't know what religion means here here i am a professor of religion <laughs> because it's kind of you know a term that's not 
quite there either in the Sikh world or the Indic world. It's really dharma or darshana, darshana to see things. It's really getting an insight into things. And I think poetry offers us the means to get an insight into things. It's not just the physical seeing, but kind of getting an insight. So to me, um, philosophy, um, poetry is, is, is really um, religion. It, it, it really transforms people. And we don't think about it, you know, we think poetry for poetry's sake, art for art's sake. But when you think Lao Tzu and Confucius and so forth, music, poetry, this is what changes us. Rules and regulations don't. We want the world to be egalitarian. We need literature. We need poetry. That's, that's what strikes chords in us. It's transformative. It really has an impact which you don't realize. And that's why I think Plato banished the poets because mm. they would be affected, impacted by it. And I think religion too, what impacts us most is religion. So their power, their emotional power is quite not only parallel, but I think it's very simultaneous. So in addition to poetics, you focused a lot on feminism. Um, so I kind of want to know your perspective on how do religion and feminism go hand in hand? Well, you look at the text from a feminist perspective, it's all, you know. But again, the term feminist can be quite distorting and so forth. It just is, is looking at it from a human perspective. And all we have been doing is looking at texts from a very patriarchal, from an androcentric angle. Mm -hmm. So it's looking from the other side. We need to balance our interpretations. We need to balance the vision of the divine. The, in, in the sixth scripture, the divine is one, singular one. It's literally numeral. And in that numeral, you can tap in anybody you want because it could be Yahweh, it could be Jesus, Christ, um, Durga, Devi, you name it, mm -hmm. because it's all one. Even, even the atheistic Nirvan, Guru Nanak says that's also the one. So the one is kind of a universal reality, one which is transcendent, imminent, everything. But we always invariably translate it, understand it, imagine it as a he. And that is very distorting. It's very, it, it really disrupts things. It's kind of hating the body. It's hating the woman. It's hating, you know, and it's just giving, it's, it's really divorcing. It's kind of splitting the personality. And I think it's, it's uh, feminism is very important to the study of religion because all we have done is perceive the world from one side and we need to balance, we need to become whole. We can't be the splintered personalities. Yeah. So we need to do a feminist study of our texts. Um, so you mentioned how your father kind of introduced um, studying religions um, in the area you grew up in. And I was just curious about kind of what um, your perspective on how the study of religion has changed since um, since you began studying um, religions to now. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, that's a really good question. It's, you know, we are changing the study. It's a very dynamic, you know, uh, academic system. And also our reality changes. You know, at the beginning, even I, when I teach courses, it was all religion was like, oh, what happened in India? Today, the Sikhs are all over the world. Diasporic communities, you have so many in California, Canada, all over. So you're studying, you know, so the, there's a shift in, in, in the historical reality and along with it, the focus of uh, uh, teaching and the academy changes. 
And um, so for a while, everything was kind of theological, but now we are looking at it from various angles. The religion is looking, the ritualistic side, the anthropological side, the art. Art is something new. I never looked at, uh, um, at Sikhism through uh, the lens of art. Mm -hmm. And in fact, my talk tonight is going to be looking at the early Sikh art. So, the, you know, so new, uh, new avenues, new, new methodologies are coming up and our academics is aligned with that. Um, and just a quick follow-up to that. Um, what would you recommend to students studying religions today, um, to college students who, who are considering, you know, making this their life's work? Like, what, what advice would you give to them as someone who's had great success in the field of religious studies? I, I think it's very important that we study religion. And please don't think of religion as something esoteric and otherworldly. Religion is a part of our everyday life. What do we do? What do we eat? How do we behave? How do we greet one another? All this is a part of religion, and we think of it as something very different and distant. So whatever they do, even for government, you know, what are our policies, our economic systems? We really need to have a nuanced understanding of religion. So one, that they should go into religion, study religion, whatever their field be. And two, don't be scared of texts. Read the texts. I love texts, the, the direct texts. Immediate, you know, no, mm. not secondary sources, but go to the primary sources. Feel confident and go with what, what sense you make. You know, so to literally one, I would say there are three strategies to that. One, understand the texts, which is literally putting yourself below. The word, German word understand is very nice. Stand below. Let the text speak to you. Two, interpret it. Make it a part of yourself. Let it go into your bloodstream. Relate to, to how you understand it. I read the same thing, but you may see and understand it differently, which is very important. So we have to do it from our own cultural, our own interests, our own personal proclivities. Interpretation is very important. And the third one is to apply the text in their everyday life. Don't think texts are up there and take pleasure in the text. That's something we have forgotten. Really enjoy the text. The texts are beautifully written, you know, so to take delight. You know, it's a world and today we are going too much into electronics and so forth and we are really not picking up the books. I think there's a certain joy to that and we need to get back to it. So the last question we ask all of our guests is, what is your personal definition of success and how would you help students define success for themselves? Oh my gosh, that's a toughie. I would say go with what your heart says. Don't go for peer pressure. Don't go for money. Don't go for fame. See what you really enjoy doing and go for it because that's success. When you enjoy your work, whatever it be, whether it's gardening, law, medicine, reading, cooking, and don't let anybody deter you from your voice within. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Um, thank you, Professor Singh, um, for joining us. And to all our listeners, remember to stay hungry.